Very glad to welcome Health Minister Adrian Dix to the program for the next 25 minutes or so. Uh, Minister Dix, I want to bring you in here before we even get to the clips of Premier Horgan um, yesterday. Uh, Thank you so much for taking some time out. I know you must be incredibly busy right now. Thanks for doing this. I'm confident the Prime Minister gets it. Uh, I'm hopeful we'll have some progress before the summer is done. What kind of follow-up do you plan if you don't hear from the Prime Minister? Uh, Maybe I'll take out an ad in the paper. All right, we'll go to the clip first. That was uh, Premier John Horgan rather tongue-in-cheek, or was he when he said, I might take an ad out in the paper to get some federal government support for our health care system here. Let's bring in the health minister now. Uh, sorry about that false start there, minister. Thanks for doing this. Don't worry. Those were my best uh, sentences right there, Jody. No, no, I've, I'm, uh, it's great to be on the show again. Great to talk to you again. It's been way too long since we spoke. I know there's a lot of pressure on our healthcare system from coast to coast to coast, but here in BC, let's talk about what we're faced with here. Uh, within the interior, there are worries, uh, obviously, uh, all too often stories of emergency rooms that need to shut down due to s- uh, sh- staffing shortages, um, complications for physicians not being able to access family physicians, as well as the story referenced there by Premier Horgan uh, with regard to the couple in their 80s, uh, literally taking out a want ad to get a prescription filled. Let's let's start there. Well, first of all, what Premier Horgan was referring to was um, federal support for our health care system. As you know, that yeah. health care system is a partnership between federal and provincial governments and has been for some decades. The federal government is now supporting the health care system less than it ever has. And uh, it's important that we revise that because as a, uh, as a population, we're, we'll talk about the the summer's issues, which are significant and obviously a focus of a lot of my time, a lot of our time and, a, and what's going on. But if you look at the next 12 years, Jody, we're going to have twice as many people in B.C. over 75. Why? Because life expectancy is extending, especially over 65. That's one reason. People are moving to B.C., particularly seniors move to B.C. Right. at a time when they need to use health care more. And so we got to continue to build out our system. And I think the premier is making the point to, to the federal government that he's been making for some months as leader of the, of the provinces, of the provincial premiers right now, that uh, they need to take action to revise the Canada Health Transfer. Them being at 22% doesn't make sense for the country anymore when their commitment is to be, uh, was initially to 50%. So when it comes to waiting for the federal government to step up what they have reduced, as per what you just said, what can be done in the immediate? There's a lot of talk about the idea that if I've had a a prescription that I get filled maybe monthly, let's say, for example, why is it that we can't maybe pivot and and free up those doctor's appointments for for people in higher need and allow a, a pharmacist to perhaps fill that prescription that is clearly on my records? So let's talk about what's happening in the healthcare system now, because I think it's important to talk about those things. Because on the pharmacy and on the prescription renewal question, I don't think that was the primary question with the couple in Victoria. Their primary question was getting a family practice doctor, a family doctor, right? That's what they wanted. It wasn't the the issue of getting the prescription filled. I think that was not the principal challenge there. The principal challenge is getting a family doctor, which a lot of people are feeling, which I'm spending a lot of time working with the doctors of BC and others uh, to help resolve. But where are we right now? So in March 2020, the pandemic came. We all remember it. It changed the relationship with our family doctors and primary care fundamentally in BC. Made a decision that was one of the biggest decisions I've ever been involved in. And it sounds like a small decision, 
we created new fee codes for virtual care. That meant that if you called your doctor, you had a, phone, uh, a doctor's appointment on the phone, it would be paid at the same level as an in-person appointment. And we did that because it was very difficult to have in-person appointments at that time. The pandemic had happened and we were um, separating from one another, right? So we did that to sustain primary care, sustain access to doctors, and to support our primary care system as well, which would have not survived a period when no one came, right? So we have right. to. I'm going to I'm going to jump in. I get where you're going. I, I I totally understand where you're going, Minister Dix. And I, on, in the interest of time, I want to shorten to the degree that I'm yeah. hearing from a great number of people who are saying they have to go to the emergency room to get their prescription filled because they don't have a family doctor. Where they could just go to their pharmacist, who knows them by first name, doesn't even need to look them up in the system, and knows exactly where Bob's well, prescription is for their heart medication, and and they just need to exactly have that right. right? But right? my my point my point is that ninety seven percent of appointments were in person, right? Yeah. And now about fifty percent are as a, at this point in the pandemic, and we have to move back towards more in-person appointments. That's the challenge for people. Totally. In terms of getting prescriptions filled, there are uh, significant ways to do that, and we can do that, including expanding the role of pharmacy. And we've done that in the pandemic, principally with immunization. So yes. our pharmacists are playing a way bigger role in immunizing people. 620 of them are involved in the program, and they're doing the bulk of the immunizations right now. It's pretty significant. So my pharmacy's given me my those... second bo- booster on Saturday. So I'm going to the end of my street on Saturday to do that, because as, as you know, as an essential caregiver in a long-term care home, my, my original series of of vaccines were were very early and it's just yes. so great to know that I can go to my pharmacy and do that and we have moved that along significantly. I want to open up the phones here in the next segment and I know people want to I love the fact that you stay for calls. I really do respect you for for showing up and taking the calls. I want to get to as many as possible. So let's get people lined up. 604-280-9898 is the number. 604-280-9898 Star 9898. If you have a question for Health Minister Adrian Dix, we're going to have all of your calls in the next segment. I want to move to vaccines because the rollout happened this week for kids five and under. How has that gone? How how many calls have come in? Do we know statistically how many parents have, have leaned in on that? So far, about 15,000 have registered, which is... Um which 15,000, which is not an insignificant number, but there are in the category of children between um, six months and four years and 364 days. So, you know, yeah. basically five years in that category, about uh, 15,000 or about 204,000 people in those that category. So we're getting started there. But I would say that um, we're going to encourage people and all the parents out there to get registered right now. Uh, to get registered so they'll they'll be able to make appointments and it's the get vaccinated system. So once you get registered, you can book your appointment. Those, those um, appointments, those immunizations are all going to be done in the health authority setting. And that's what our public health folks are most experienced at giving vaccines to children and to infants. That's what they do uh, on a regular basis and every year. So there you have people who are very much able to do that. Um, There are, especially in, uh, in uh, Metro Vancouver, particular uh, allowances and programs in place for neurodiverse children as well. And we're working with all the relevant groups to work on that. We have a pilot project for office-based GPs and nurse practitioners as well. And we're hoping people take it up on us. About 
Um, 58% of those 5 to 11, children 5 to 11, got their first dose of a COVID-19 vaccine. And what we saw, Jody, is every year from 17 on down, the percentage got lower. And so we're not expecting necessarily um, that every child between uh, six months and five years will get vaccinated. But we're encouraging uh, parents to register their children, help get their children, keep their children safe and their families safe. Jody Vance in for Jill Bennett. No surprise, we're long on calls and short on time with Health Minister Adrian Dix. Taking your calls here on the program, let's get right to it. Risa in Coquitlam, welcome. What's your question for Minister Dix? Well, I had a bladder infection on the long weekend. I needed a prescription for antibiotics. Couldn't get in for a phone call to my doctor for two weeks. Clinics are booked up by like 10 o'clock in the morning. Um, So I went to the hospital Monday night for three hours holding up with everybody else just to get a prescription for antibiotics. And I just think it's such a waste of money. Our whole system is just so flawed. Um, it's frustrating. And it is frustrating, and I know the and pain I have of the bladder infection. You know exactly what you need to take as well. And that goes back to the question that we were talking about early, uh, earlier, Minister, about knowing what you need. Uh, is there some urgency to creating a, an environment in BC where we can go to our pharmacists and say, you know, I've taken this, you know, I use this, you know, it will help me. Can I have that, please? Yeah, I think it's not just pharmacists. It's using all of our health professionals to the full extent of their skills. So, yes, there is um, uh, absolutely that's a that's a core of the work. And that's what we've been doing. We've substantially increased the role of pharmacy, in the, as I was discussing in the immunization program, and we will with other parts of healthcare as well. You know, we're doing that and we're doing this work uh, with um, doctors. So is that coming? Well. Is that answer that this is uh, coming that, for us? The relief uh, might be there? That's something we're absolutely working on. And okay, we're working good. on it with our family practice doctors, right? So yep. like, like, and with the doctor community, you can't, um, you know, I think that there's often criticism when one acts. And there's sometimes criticism when one acts without uh, being heard by everybody, right? So um, we're uh, yeah. we're doing that the work now in order to make make sure that that happens, you know. And that's uh, it's important to do that, of course. It is Barry and Langley. You're up next. Welcome to the show, Barry. Well, thank you very much for taking my call. Uh, my wife and I are elderly, and uh, we already got one email for her to get her fourth shot, and I'm going to get my fourth shot uh, email shortly. We were told to wait to get the Moderna, because we're all been on Moderna, to wait for the new one to come out in September or whenever it's coming out. Should we wait or, or what? Well, I think if you're in the category that you're in, you should get your um, your booster shot now. There is um, for people who are not elderly. And I don't know what you mean by elderly, but um, but elderly in this definition is 70 and above. And it also includes people who are in a separate category who are clinically vulnerable, who have an immune suppressant issue. And that the recommendation from the National Advisory Committee that we're following for people in your category is to get um, that uh, second booster dose uh, at six months or, or 182 days. So for you, if you're in that category and it's recommended for you to go forward, you should get your dose. You will also be eligible in the fall. Um, that group of people will also be eligible in the fall for the new dose. What the caller is referring to is a new bivalent vaccine. So people who aren't in this category, who are, say, my age, 58, and have received their three doses and are not uh, and can get a fourth dose now but are uh, and are eligible because we had our 
third dose six months ago, the recommendation is that that group of people wait because they've got their maximum protection now. But for people over 70, people with immune suppression issues, they're recommended to get their fourth dose and they should get it at six months. That's why we call it a booster dose. Linda in Kitsilano, you're up next. Your question for Health Minister Adrian Dix. Oh, hi. I got a letter from my doctor last month, and he's there closing up shop and going out of business there in Yaletown. So um, I tried to get a new doctor. I called every single place, absolutely nowhere. I cannot get a doctor. There's no one taking new patients. Um, so I've just been using emergency and walk-in clinics. Um, also, I have to see a specialist, and I've already seen him like two years ago. I don't understand why I you have to have a referral every year to see the same specialist for an ongoing issue. So I have to go into emergency to get a referral to see a specialist. And I find the system so outdated and so inefficient. And um, most of this stuff, I should be able to just go on a Zoom call and an RN could just easily give me the referral. And that's why um, uh, we're both increasing our health professionals. We've added 30,000 people in healthcare in the last two years and increasing the, what we call team-based care. So the leaders of that team are frequently family doctors and should be in, the, in, in a primary care network, but they also include nurse practitioners who can handle these situations as well and others. We've set up 27 urgent and primary care centers, and the importance of those is that their doors have been open throughout the pandemic. They get some criticism sometimes, but 1.4 million people have benefited from the services provided there during the pandemic. And so that's why we need to build up, add add health professionals, because what you need ultimately is a family doctor or nurse practitioner or primary care provider that can provide you with service, let's say to the caller. So that's why we got to keep building that out. Why we put in place UPCCs, there's one not far from you in Yale Town, there's another out near the PNE on East Hastings. There's one that the Reach uh, nonprofit runs on uh, Commercial Drive. Those are also available as well. We haven't seen, I know there's some talk about people going to emergency rooms for prescription renewals. We haven't seen a lot of that. It's not a very good idea in a general sense because um, because uh, we, we have our emergency rooms for Emergencies, emergencies, but also because yeah. if you're not an emergency, we triage cases, so you're, you're likely to wait a very significant period of time. That's why we've added all these services, because it's a real challenge. It's, uh, and it's a challenge because um, partly because we've gone uh, to virtual care, but also because we have a, a lot more people in B.C., We've added doctors, just to give you an example, because I heard this from a caller on a different show yesterday coming from Manitoba and, uh, and, uh, for, um, and uh, got it through our media service, who, who is concerned about this. Only 13 new doctors net in Manitoba, 500 in BC in the last few years, but we got to get more. We do got to get more. I wish we had more time, Health Minister Adrian Dix. Always glad that uh, we can bend your ear and open up calls for our listener. Lots of people with questions. For those who have questions or comments, please call our buzz line, 604-331-BUZZ, 604-331-2899. As I said, Minister, I appreciate your time very much. Thanks. Hey, right on. Take care. I'm Jody Vanson for Jill This Week. It is time to bring home the realities of what is happening in Ukraine. Many of us uh, have 
allowed it to just sort of be noise around our everyday, obviously horrifying. But those early days of Russia's invasion of Ukraine, we were all tied in and tapped in. I remember waking up each day and checking if Volodymyr Zelensky was still alive. And now it just feels like, yes, the ongoing war in Ukraine. And then you hear or you see a story that we're going to talk about next. Catherine Garrett, Global BC reporter, is with us on the line. And I want to bring you in as we explain this, Catherine. First of all, thanks for taking some time out uh, for this appearance today. I know you're a very busy individual, but I appreciate you taking some time to explain this story to us. Thank you for having me. Now, full disclosure, you reached out to me on, on social media. We're friends. We, we, we follow one another social media. You're like, have a look at this story I've been working on. It's finally ready to, to be put out there. I read it, and honestly, it, stu- it stopped me in my tracks. It humanized and personalized what is happening all those thousands of kilometers from here and really brought it home because there is a piece of this story that is here, and, and she is the center of your story. I should note that Irina is her name and, and she will be on live with Jazz Johal later on this afternoon. But let's set up the journey that you went on. How did this story come to you in the first place, Catherine? Well, uh, like you, I was glued to news coverage of what was going on in Ukraine constantly because with my job, it's pretty inescapable. Um, and then I started looking for local angles and something that I could do to help like myself, because it, the whole thing is so big, it feels so overwhelming that um, I was at a loss. So I, f- I found Irina through social media, and she had posted her story. And I think, like, she explained the whole thing, and my jaw just dropped when she had her summary. Like, it, 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 I, I didn't even think it was real at first. I had to, like talk to her and make sure that it was real because it, it the whole thing is just crazy so take us through where where arena's parents were then okay um irina and her parents are from mariupol which in the early days of the war it was probably one of the most hardest hit cities it was completely cut off from humanitarian aid food electricity water everything um yeah. She was here in Vancouver, and she was basically waiting to see if her family was still alive. And throughout all of this, her mother was taking care of her father during the early days of the siege of Mariupol. Her mother had stage four cancer, buried her father in the front yard of their apartment because he had suffered a stroke one night. And then she bribed Russian soldiers to take her out of Mariupol and eventually was put on a train to nowhere, escaped the train um, that was going to rural Russia. We don't really know where. And then she ended up in Belize, Georgia, where she was able to make contact with Irina. And she came to Vancouver and spent her final days here and uh, died peacefully, died with dignity and a free woman did her mother. Honestly, reading your story, which you can find on the Global News website, um, I will tweet it out at Jody Vance on Twitter. Uh, Catherine Garrett uh, is is the reporter I'm speaking with. You can follow Catherine on social media as well, a Global BC reporter. But reading your story, honestly, when you got to the point where Irina's mother was 
her story was unfolding about how she managed to get off that train, traveling with her cat, traveling with stage four cancer, basically pleading with Russians to let her off because she was going to die anyway. You're sending me somewhere where I'm going to die anyway. And somehow she talked her way off. It, it took me back to, you know, World War II movies or documentaries that we watch or I'm going to say movies because it feels like it must be fiction but this is happening in real time I can't imagine what it was like for you to follow along on this and you mentioned how Irina's mother finally did come here to Vancouver I actually you, you've sent some clips here and I want to play this one this is Irina spoke about how challenging it was to have her mother arrive in Vancouver and be so happy while also going through the process of losing her listen to this a little bit surreal uh, you know, looking in the window of my apartment, seeing the view that I was always showing my mom through the photographs and like not assuming she would ever see it in person and he have her here in person. But at the same time, it's, um, you know, I wish I would, I could take her for walks. I wish I could um, take her to restaurants and stuff like that. And at the same time, seeing her slowly stop in 18 and just being very tired um, and kind of uh, dying. Seeing her dying, it's challenging. After everything that Arena went through to get her mother here, and I want to play this one as well. You sent us a couple of clips over, and it's just, it's so heart-wrenching. This is Arena speaking to you about what it was like to have her mom finally arrive in Canada. The paradigm shift between these two clips is really something. Listen to this one of the most challenging times in my life probably to um you know on one hand to be amazingly happy and grateful to have my mom here with me but at the same time just seeing like the time like a sense like slipping through my hands and um, like seeing her having not having the time i hoped she'll have when we will arrive in vancouver but kind of seeing her, you know, last moments. Um, I'm still very grateful that she's here with me and I'm able to provide care for her and able to provide everything. So those days will be the most comfortable for her. But at the same time, it's heartbreaking. But I didn't have the opportunity to see my dad before he died. So I feel very grateful that I can have my mom here. Catherine, it's just so heart-wrenching, gut-wrenching to imagine what Irina went through. How long did it take from the start of the war and, as you mentioned, in this you know ground zero of the worst-case scenario of an already horrific war in Ukraine where her parents were? How long was the duration between that and the arrival of her mother in Vancouver? Several months. Um, the siege of Mariupol began almost immediately, and Irina lost contact with her parents, I think, on March 1st. Wasn't able to make contact with her mom until three weeks after that, when her mom had buried her husband and um, eventually escaped to a different part of the country and then moved on to Russia. She was able to text infrequently during that point. They eventually made it to Belize, Georgia, in May, um, I think the second week of May or so, they spent three weeks there in emergency care and then eventually made it to Vancouver in mid-June. So this is a, a 
several months long ordeal that was just obviously hellish for them, but following along um, and being allowed to follow along with someone's most intimate moments like that was, um, I've never experienced anything like it. Jody Vance in with Jill Bennett alongside my colleague from Global BC, reporter Catherine Garrett is with me. Catherine has put together an incredible story that the headline reads, She's My James Bond. Ukrainian woman in BC remembers late mother's remarkable Mariupol escape. And Catherine, we're talking about Irina, the daughter, and Katerina, the mother, who escaped, found her way through Russia, managed to escape a train to nowhere in Russia, suffering stage four cancer, having buried her husband who suffered a stroke during the early days of the war, having buried him in the front yard. Uh, There's a photograph on your story. I just tweeted it out at Jody Vance and copied you in, Catherine, as well as CKNW, uh, so you can read the full account of this story. But you've really followed along for months with Irina on her story. Um, I want to play this clip, actually. Let's do this first. Uh, you, you spoke to Katrina about mm-hmm. why she felt it was important to tell her story. Have a listen. Ирочка приложила столько усилий для публикации истории. She said, I put so much effort to uh, make the story uh, out. Я не имела права не поддержать это. И вообще, чтобы больше людей узнали о той ситуации, через которую проходят люди. Uh, yeah, so she, she's saying she could not to support this and uh, for the reasons so many more people will find out about the situation that Ukrainians are going through. So, Catherine, this is just one of so many stories, so many tragedies unfolding in Ukraine. It's honestly like the, the point I really wanted to hit home with this story is that she was a person. She was real. Um, she mattered and she was here. And it's one thing to read the statistics. It's quite another to hear from someone who's directly experienced it. And And living with the stress associated with what Irina now will live with moving forward, you know, the, the helplessness with which she sat by her phone when in reading that part, when she was, you know, living with her phone beside her and checking it constantly and then walking out onto the streets of Vancouver and seeing normal life walk by. That's one of the most poignant moments for me because sure, all of us can just look around and, and kind of see and even take for granted the normalcy that we have around us when there are fellow citizens just like you and I who are living in horrors that we just could really never comprehend. Katrina also told you that she feels like her daughter saved her, even though Irina thinks any child would have done this for her parent. Let's listen to this clip. Dutch меня спасла. This is uncomfortable to translate. <laughs> Because she's saying that her daughter saved her. Like, I don't think I saved her. I think uh, my mom is the reason, like, where we got, like, her incredible strengths is the reason. And it's just so obvious for me. I don't know. It's not, like, it's not an option. How you, how you do not do anything, everything to save, you know, 
loved ones to your your parents like it's just like i i don't think i'm doing anything special mm-hmm. any human would do that for their loved one yeah <sighs> that is emotional i'm emotional listening to this what was it like for you sitting there and gathering this as a journalist overwhelming um i yeah. like i said i've never i have never covered a story that comes close to this honestly like it and it was a it was an honor as well um because i didn't just do the video interview i uh, after they arrived to canada and in vancouver i went over and met them and i brought katarina a bouquet of sunflowers and i'm very happy that i chose to meet her face to face in the flesh before i started writing because i don't think i i could have written it otherwise When people think that journalism is just telling a story from some random office somewhere, there's a lesson within what you've done here. You've done justice to our industry in such a beautiful way, Catherine Garrett, and and I'm proud to be able to give some voice to your story here. And we do want to reiterate that Jazz Johal will have Irina live on the air with him to tell her perspective at 5.05 today. Um, so let's let people know where they can access your story. I said I've tweeted it out with uh, with your handle at Kath underscore Garrett on Twitter at Jody Vance on Twitter, but people can go to the global website and find it as well, right? Yes, it's on globalnews.ca. Jody Vanson for Jill Bennett. A public safety warning has been issued in partnership with the Vancouver PD and the BCRCMP identifying 11 individuals who pose a significant threat to public safety due to their ongoing involvement in gang conflicts and connection to extreme levels of violence. And we've seen examples of that over recent years and months and certainly over the last number of weeks with murders happening in broad daylight in places all over Metro Vancouver and in the resort town of Whistler uh, on Sunday at noon outside of a hotel, many of us could imagine ourselves uh, walking past this area that all of a sudden rang out with gunfire. It is an escalating level of violence and an escalating sense of urgency coming from law enforcement clearly in identifying these individuals with photographs to the public. Uh, Wanting to talk through what this means and how we might manage ourselves in a way where we're keeping our eyes open and, and acknowledging and understanding when we see one of these people in our community what to do next. Uh, Doug Spencer is with us. He is a gang expert, retired from the Vancouver Police Department. Uh, Doug, good to have you on. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, hello. Yeah. Thank you very much. Okay, got you. Got you. We were just having a little bit of an audio glitch there. So tell us what what you're seeing happen in terms of the escalation of gun violence uh, across uh, B.C., really. Yeah, you know, for a number of years now, it's just been completely uh, not dealt with by the courts. These guys running around with guns and stuff and uh, getting arrested over and over again. And, you know, the, the, the poster comes out with all those pictures. I know half those guys. I've been retired now for two years, and it's the same guys doing the same stuff. So, like, to get it out there to the, the public it's brilliant because you've got more sets of eyes on these guys, right? Wherever they find one another, they're going to kill one another and innocent people are in the crosshairs. 
So, yeah, it, yeah it's a, a little extreme. Some people will say, you know, it's a, a charter breach. It's against their rights and stuff. But when they're shooting people in the public, they don't have rights. But that's the way it is because you're killing, you're putting innocent people at risk. No question. So can you go back to like why the revolving door is there? I mean, I get a parking ticket and I'm held to account. You know, I can't get away with my speeding ticket not being paid. And yet you say you can identify these people. It's not new. They have a rap sheet. Why do they keep landing back on the street feeling emboldened and empowered clearly? Yeah, they're just... uh... They haven't seen the face of justice. They they completely take advantage of the weakness in the court. And, you know, they, they don't care. There are no repercussions for them getting caught. So why don't, why do they stop? There's no reason for them to stop. Right. It's like if they, if they go to jail for a week, it's like paying a tax on their right. gangster drug dealing business to them. It's nothing. Right. So, I mean, the guys that are found with guns, using guns and indictable offenses, they shouldn't be on the street. They should be held in custody until trial, because one of the Bail Reform Act conditions is you pose a threat to the public. And they all do. Now, they, well, clearly they do. And it, it seems to be ever escalating. And, you know, born and raised Vancouverite, I've sort of watched and it's not even just one sector of society over the long term. I mean, there's there's different different types of gangs, let's say, whether it's the organized crime in terms of the money laundering piece over uh, or specific to certain drug trade or 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 the, the you know, the old school kind of mob mentality of we own the neighborhood um, you know, we've we've kind of followed along, but one thing is certain: it used to feel as though it happened in the shadow, and now it feels as though there's a there's almost a pride associated with it to some degree, and yet silence from those who who find themselves unwittingly in the presence of these people. How does one escape that or report this without putting themselves in harm's way? What does somebody do if they see one of these people or knows one of these people? Yeah, you know, we we did this years ago, and I had uh, a couple family members of a guy, a suspect. They were unaware was involved in all this stuff, and they had came forward through Crime Stoppers and gave a bunch of information. I went and interviewed them, and they told me a whole bunch of stuff that helped me put these guys in jail because they were planning to murder people and stuff. So, like, if you see as somebody out there, you see somebody on this this list, the bulletin that was sent out, if you see them in a car, get the license plate, phone Crime Stoppers. Get that information into the hand of the police, and then we can deal with it, right? So the the more uh, people out there with sets of eyes on these guys, what they're doing and what they're up to, the better off society is because you can put them in jail, get them off the street. And help everyone in your community. 1-800-222-TIPS is Crime Stoppers. Let's just put that number out there. 1-800-222-TIPS. 1-800-222-TIPS. We're with gang expert and retired Vancouver Police Department member uh, Doug Spencer. And Doug, a lot of controversy over um, the change in policing in Surrey in particular. And a lot of that was motivated moving from the RCMP 
to a municipal police force in that the RCMP would sort of cycle through. This is the this was the um, the the thinking behind moving to municipal is that people would a municipal police department would be. Uh, more knowledgeable on on the who's behind this. But certainly this is in conjunction, VPD and BCRCMP clearly working together on identifying these 11 individuals. This Taking the political spin away from this uh, and no blame game, what do law enforcement require in order to get a better grip on what's happening here? If people want to blame one part of law enforcement or another, whether it be municipal or or provincial, what, what does it play politically or non-politically, I guess, would be my better question. Yeah, you have success as a gang investigator with the more contacts you have, the more information that comes to you on the the guys you're working on, the better you're able to go and uh, get evidence and put them in jail and solve crime, right? So there has been, certainly the, the RCMP are federal, so there's a very uh, a slow process where they'll get information it's got to go back to Ottawa to be authorized before it can be worked on and it comes back out here you need feet on the street right now municipal policing like not in a week you need it now so I think it's great that Surrey's got their own municipal force they can act on things far quicker right and uh, you take out that bureaucracy up the chain, down the chain stuff. Um, years right. ago, I gave information on a, a safe house where there's guns and stuff. And by the time the RCMP members had worked on it, they'd change houses. Right? Yeah, so the information yeah. is old. It doesn't, it, it's gone. And, and that was a chance to get a guy who ended up getting convicted of murder. So... And and the guys yeah, you, at play here, the guys that you're referencing, know how to game that piece of the system, right? Oh, yeah. No, for certain. Yeah. And plus, you get the Surrey members, they live out here. So they know the way things work here. The, things don't work the same all across the country. They're kind of a little different in each province, right? So you're getting local people that are knowledgeable about what's been going on here. And it's not like the RCMP aren't competent. I know lots of competent, really good officers that I've worked with over the years. But the Surrey was really neat. They needed a municipal police force, for sure. Jody Vance in for Jill Bennett. We are with Doug Spencer, gang expert, retired VPD. And Doug, we opened up the phone lines and they rang off the hook. We got a lot of callers who want to chime in here. Please help me navigate through this complex subject matter as we go to Dave in Fort Langley. Welcome to the show, Dave. Good afternoon, Doug and Jody. Uh, my question is, you know, this, this problem doesn't fall on, or the problem we're having in getting these guys doesn't fall on the police. It falls on the courts. And I'm wondering, how do we put pressure on our court system and our justice system to take this thing more seriously and to put these guys away for longer periods of time? What do you think on that, Doug? Yeah, it's it's not up to me to um, uh, sentence people longer. The the yeah. police get 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 the evidence. They put that person before the courts, and the courts deals with them. You know, it, it's almost like the last few years they've ignored the bail reform act, where you have to have a, a 
legitimate address, not pose a, a, a public risk, and not continue the offense. And most of these guys, at least two out of three, they're doing so. I just don't know the answers why judges don't hold these guys in jail. They have all the the stuff they need to hold them. It, it's right. a puzzle it's to me because they're completely yeah. dangerous, all of them. We see that revolving door in other criminal aspects as well. It's certainly a frustration from a, a citizen level. Thank you very much for that good phone call. Uh, Malcolm and Burnaby, you're up next. What's your question or comment here? Well, I come from a policing family. My grandfather was a uh, BC BC provincial police officer, ended up as deputy commissioner before they were taken over by the RCMP. In the later years, when I used to talk to him in the early 80s, he said it was the, it's not the courts and certainly not the police because they really do gather solid information. It's the politicians. He laid the blame squarely on the politicians, regardless of party, who don't want to give the judges many a time a solid lead, uh, you know, acts to go by. And then there's this word called precedence. Throw the word precedence out. If, the, if they were in there for first-degree murder and they've got, you know, they've never done it before, that's too bad. You're gone. We have to toughen up. And it's coming down to my point of view is the politicians have to get together. There's so many lawyers in Parliament, you'd think they could come up with tough laws that would go up against the Charter of Rights, still maintaining the Charter of Rights, but it's now that the, the perpetrators are the victims and the vi- real victims are the perpetrators. Yeah, that's a, co- a really yeah, that's a really accurate assessment. It, it's reversed. Um, there, yeah. there was legislation in place that if you commit an indictable offense with a firearm, you get an extra four years on top of your substantive sentence. Well, back east, the liberals they shot that down. They took for whatever reason, they defeated that and threw that bill out. The only positive bill to keep these guys in jail, and they quashed it. I am puzzled by that. Yeah. I don't know. It it just boggles my mind. It's one of those things that feels like Canada has become a, a fertile landscape for corruption because of these ever softening laws like Malcolm what a great phone call thank you for bringing that to the fore and with the with the backstory history of of your family being one uh, of policing I want to squeeze in one more caller Steve in in Delta we're short on time but I want to fit you in here if I can thanks I think I think a lot has to do with the parole board too I know a guy who was on the parole board and I tell you he was kind of shady anyways the parole board lets people off way too soon that one gentleman just got let off this morning he killed his wife and she was pregnant. He burned her and he's out after 16 years. So what's the punishment? So it doesn't matter if you, you can get five years if you're out in, you know, 12 months. Right. There's no punishment. Thanks, Steve. No, you know what, Doug? The consequences, the, the swift and meaningful consequences that are a deterrent to this sounds like what needs to happen here. 30 seconds to you for the final thought. Yeah, no, certainly. It, I, I've heard of cases where... Um, a suspect sexually assaulted and strangled a young kid and they were out in three years. I I was sitting at this parole board meeting and I just about threw up and I walked out of the meeting. I couldn't believe I just heard that, right? It happened in New Westminster years ago. So 
there's just so much stuff like that. If the public knew they would be completely outraged, you know, like something like that. But these gangsters are running around, pulling the trigger, living up to their social media photos and selfies and stuff with no repercussions. It's a joke. Right. Swift and meaningful consequences are the goal here and should be the conversation going into any election, whether it's municipal, provincial, federal, what have you. The law is made at the federal level, but what you do, boots on the ground, like you said, Doug, very, very important. Doug Spencer, gang expert, retired VPD. Thank you for your time today. Really appreciate it. You're more than welcome. And like I say, it takes a village to solve this problem. So everybody keep your eyes open. Jody Vance in for Jill Bennett this week. And what a week it's been. I don't know about you, but I kind of felt good when the rain washed over the lower mainland overnight last night. And no, this isn't a weather forecast. This is more about growing season, the hot weather, the cool weather, a little bit of rain. I always think, ooh, the berries are going to be really good this weekend at the farmer's market. It is peak farmer's market season. And certainly with the cost of goods and not wanting to buy that that berry from California or farther away from that, when we have so much great delicious food grown right here and supporting local. Want to get into the farmer's market sort of do's and don'ts with a little help from my good friend, Alyssa Bowman, holistic nutritionist and owner of nourished.ca. Alyssa, good to chat with you always. Hi, Jody. Thanks so much for having me. Let's talk about navigating our farmer's market. I love following along on your Instagram in particular. Even when you travel to far-flung places, you go in search of the the locally grown goods. And certainly right now, I mean, I love to frequent many of the farmer's markets. I do lean into Trout Lake Market. I really love the vendors there. But when you're walking through there, just, just picking what's in season, I mean, there's just a cornucopia literally of food to be had there. So walk us through your nourished tips for the farmer's market. Mm-hmm, for sure. Okay, so I have a whole bunch, but the first thing is go prepared. Have a little bit of an idea of what you think you're going to buy, because the worst thing we can do is have food waste. So have an idea, whether it's a meal plan, some snacking, um, what's up for the weekend? Are you having guests over? Do you want to showcase, you know, some of BC's finest foods right now? What, what, why are we going? So that's my first right. big thing. Like, have, obviously, have, a, have room for, you know, some spontaneous buys, but really have an idea. Um, My second thing is go early. Either go early to beat the crowds and also to beat the heat because so many of the markets now, um, you know, are on pavement. Or go towards closing time when you can get the best deal. Sometimes farmers don't want to pack it all up. They kind of want to just, not for a better term, but give it away. You might get a discount more at the end. So either go really early to get the best, to get get your pick of what you want, like the best, and to avoid the heat, and also it might not be as crowded, or go very close to closing time to try to get those deals. Sometimes you might get not get them, but other times you may. Um, right. Do a lap of the market. So first things first, when you get to the entrance, don't just be like, okay, I'm going to take those corn right here, because corn at the end which I found out um, might be a lot cheaper. So do a big lap if you have the time. Try not to rush and see, you know, what market you're going to go to, uh, which stand you're going to buy, you know, the corn from. Bring your bags, really important, because we don't want to be using single-use plastic. Sometimes the paper bags that the farmers have are also really flimsy. That happened to me when I forgot my bags, and 
up, they broke, and all my berries went on the floor. So we definitely want to avoid that. Um, you kind of get extra points too. I'm going to jump in there because you kind of I got extra points this past weekend when I said, you know what, I don't even need that brown paper bag. I'm going to mm-hmm. just put it straight into this bag right here because I'm going to take it home and wash it anyway. So I don't need to put it in a bag before putting it in my reusable bag. Just give me, yeah. give me those, give me those grapes. Give me the, give me the peaches. Not it wasn't grapes. It was peaches and apricots. And oh, I bought so uh, the apricots, the stone fruit right now. I mean, the cherries are off the hook. And when you're looking at it, I want to say this as well, because we do not miss a beat in, in spending too much on junk food. And then we get in front of the $8 thing of cherries and go, oh, that's too expensive for cherries. Until you get them home, wash them and have them in a bowl before you. And you're like, these are worth twice as much. Because you're eating them at the peak for flavor and it's like explosions in your mouth. And another really important tip, if you are shopping these farmer's markets, organic certification is really expensive for a lot of these small farmers. So go and talk to the farmers. Go and speak to the vendors and ask them, you know, even if it's not organic, is it sprayed? What kind of spray do you use? It might be a certain spray that's okay to ingest. So talk to them because you, you don't have to buy organic with everything. And let's the, the cherries, for example, these are really expensive crops to grow. Um, I know this because of the Okanagan and sometimes they don't spray them, but a lot of times um, they can't get that organic certification because it's so expensive. So really talk to your farmers. so You know what you're getting like kale, for ex- example, um, in the stores, you want to buy organic, but maybe you can find something that hasn't been sprayed by a local vendor, and it's just as good, has the same nutrient profile, but you're just not getting the pesticides, which is what we don't want. So really talk right. to your farmers. And that's another benefit of, of really going to the farmer's market so you can you know, see your food, know where your food is coming from. And usually when we know where our food is coming from, we are so much more connected to our food, which really changes your eating experience. Yeah, you you are so correct there. I go to the Oliver Garden and Fruit Market, uh, the Fruit Market Natural Product. They're they're from Oliver, BC, and each year I go back, and they now know me. They're like, "Here comes the tomato lady," because I go I back. Love and it. I buy the Roma. I buy the Roma tomatoes at peak. I talk to Minty. I'm like Minty. I don't want the first lot of them, but I, I want them when they're at their peak. And I will come to you at Trout Lake Market, and and they have them all ready to go. They, they're not out on display. I get a deal because I buy them in bulk. You could get a deal because you buy that. them, in, was, right? Yeah, I was just going to say, if you can, and if you have the space, buy in bulk because get, you'll get better prices. So those blueberries or the tomatoes, because I know what you're going to do with those tomatoes, you're going to make mm-hmm. beautiful sauces with it, and you're going to eat with it all winter long. So you may be spending, you know, $100 on tomatoes, but if you think ahead, think about how much money you're actually going to be saving because, A, you're not going to the grocery store to buy tomatoes when you need them or tomato sauce when you need to cook them in, you know, the dark, dreary days of winter. So you're saving time and you're saving money. So buy in bulk. And if you have the space, freeze your thing. So like these blueberries that we're talking about now that are in peak season, the raspberries that are in peak season right now, if you have space, Wash them and dry them and lay them out flat in your freezer. Freeze them like that. When they're frozen, take them and then you can fill them in your Ziploc bags. In fact, I still have frozen blueberries because I I, I buy them in bulk from the farmer's market. And I buy the big boxes so they are not as expensive as you may think they are. Um, and And I freeze them and I have them for my blueberries, my frozen blueberries that I think actually have more flavor than regular blueberries. In fact, it's blueberry season right now, but I'm still eating my 
frozen blueberries from last summer that taste just as good in my in my morning uh, cereals that I make. Oh, and I just watched yours, by the way, from this morning with the walnuts. I love how you always call them the frozen bloobs because I know exactly what you mean now. But but it's that it's that sweet hit when you're trying to sort of lean into the healthier sweet um, when you're not doing refined sugar. I've, I've recently taken that on. My, my sleep was disrupted. So I cut out sugar just to see if it helped. And it did. And now I still have a bit of a sweet tooth. And I'm finding that the fruit really fills that when I have it, as you said, pre-washed and, and available. I mean, I have it. I had a strawberry from Emily Farms in Ladner. I had oh. a strawberry that was five bites. It was like the size of an apple. It was ridiculous. <laughs> But I froze off. I'm gonna. I, I bought a whole flat of strawberries, and you kind of cringe when they go. That'll be fifty dollars, and then you get it home and realize this is months and months of smoothies. Months, mm-hmm. months, in the frozen. and months, and you and you freeze them and you cut them and and if you lay them out flat, that's the trick. Let them let them that's freeze the flat, and then you right. take them and you put them. You fill them in your bags, and you'll you will have months into the winter months. I mean, I'm still going through them. We're in August. I'm Me gonna too. buy more and replenish, but. It, it, it took me through this whole time, and, and they taste so good. I just took them out today, and I put them with my walnuts and my flax seeds and my chia seeds and my hemp seeds with a little plant milk, and that was my sweet, you know, bang that I needed this morning, and I, I had it. It was all on hand. All those things were on hand. It wasn't like, oh, I wish I had blueberries. I had them. I'm Jody Vance in for Jill Bennett on this glorious summer Thursday. I can't believe it's August already, and I'm, I'm sure you're with me on that. This summer is both flown by and sort of dragged by when it came to like waiting for it to be summer like and yet the the lushness the growth that we're seeing right now in August has got us talking about peak farmers market season our guest holistic nutritionist and principal at nourished.ca one of the best follows on Instagram you'll find at nourished by Alyssa Alyssa Bowman is with us and Liz before the break we were talking about some of the tips to navigating the farmer's market in terms of how, when you should go, uh, making sure you have your reusable bags with you, talking to the farmers, talking to the vendors who, who can explain their wares, knowing that it, you know, it costs money to, to do this, but supporting local is so important and you, you'll get it pay off in, in the flavor of it all. But some people can get a little unnerved at, at going through and buying a bunch of fresh fruit and vegetables thinking, I don't know what I'm going to do with this once I get it home. Some tips for how to process those things in terms of washing them and storing them. And before we get to a few ideas, you're going to send our way. Sure, sure. Well, I mean, I, I say this all the time. It's the foundation of my program to set yourself up for success. So you can do this after the grocery store, and I definitely recommend doing it right after you come home from the farmer's market. You know, allow yourself that time. You know, the, the rushing around, we don't need to rush around. Allow yourself that time. But when we go to the farmer's market and we're just so blown away by the plethora of amazing, you know, grains and berries they have, come home and, you know, put your bags down, get your space organized. And the first thing that I like to do, and, and this is the top tip I teach, that it's a life-changing, <laughs> traumatic uh, tip, but it works. Because when you set yourself up for success, you eat healthier. You have grab-and-go items that are ready to be eaten and re- be ready to be prepped. So come yeah. home. Let's say, let's say I just bought, you know, four bundles of um, my favorite thing is, is kale. Uh, is greens, right? Eat your greens at every single meal. I immediately take the kale, take them out of there at whatever, whatever it's in. I take it out and I plunge them 
in a cold bath in my in my sink. So my sink is prepped, and I just let them soak for about, you know, five minutes. Uh, then I drain it, and I wash all those beautiful bugs go down, and I fill it, again, fill it up again. And I do that about two or three times. I shake off the kale. I line my island with uh, towels, food towels, and I lie it out to dry. You know what? And then, and then if I have to do something, then I go and I do something, and I just let it air dry for about two hours. So my 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 island is like green, and then I come back mm-hmm. and uh, you know I dry it out pr- as well as I can with the food towels, sometimes paper towels, and I just rip off bite-sized leaves and destem them, and I store the bite-sized leaves in either containers or a ziploc, whatever you have, whatever is easiest, and then I just put a paper towel or one of those food towels on top to absorb the excess water, and I throw it in my produce bin. Um, and that's what I do. And I usually have like four containers and four Ziploc bags, these greens, which I'm going to eat. And if I don't get to them, I check on them within a week. If they're not all gone, I will just take that freezer, that, that Ziploc, and I will toss it in my freezer. So I don't let the waste happen. So I'm kind mm-hmm. of always, you know, being aware of what's in my fridge. What have I not gotten to? What do I need to? But usually because it's all prepped, I eat it. So whether that I go into my smoothies, whether it's a green smoothie or a blueberry smoothie, I throw the greens into everything. Whether, you know, I want something salty, I'll make the kale chips. The recipes are on my website. Um, I just prep it. And I do that with everything. I'll do it with the berries. I'll do it with carrots. I'll do it with peppers. I will wash everything. And if if I know I'm going to go through two peppers or three cucumbers, I'll chop it up and I'll store it in glass containers. And this ensures it's all prepped. So all you have to do is yeah. pull it and either start assembling meals with it or assemble it, take some hummus with it, and there you have your healthy snack. You have your hummus. Your vegetables are already cut up. So if you are you know, working at your desk and you're working at home, it's all done for you. It literally takes two minutes. And I have to say, this is the biggest tip and the biggest takeaway that I can share to help anybody and everybody help improve their eating habits. Because if it's at eye level, if you see healthy food in your fridge – and you're prepped, you will eat it. You won't be looking for, you know, a muffin. You won't be going into the snack drawer for your chips. You have it. You know you're going to eat it. In fact, you know, my daughter went to volleyball camp this morning. She opened the fridge. There was carrots and cucumbers. There was leftover hummus. She just took it all, and she was in a rush, and off she went. And I do the same thing. So it ensures your healthy eating when it's all done for you. So take that extra 20 minutes, 25 minutes, and do it, and you will be so much happier and so much more grateful. And another thing it also does, Joe, is that it eliminates the food waste because now that I've mm-hmm. destemmed my kale, I can throw all those stems in a Vitamix with some lemon, with some walnuts, with some nutritional yeast, and boom, I have a pesto in literally three yeah. minutes. And I didn't even think about doing that, but I have a pesto that I can just add to my pasta. It was just right there. Nourished.ca. Nourished.ca is the website that Alyssa referenced there. She does have a program that you can pay for that's A to B that is a full, like all hands-on holistic nutritionist um, who's there for you and checking in with you regularly, but also a, a multitude of excellent tips and recipes that you can, you can tap into nourished.ca or you can go nourished by Alyssa on Instagram. Always great to chat with you. Motivated to get back to the farmer's market this weekend. And that prep, I echo the sentiments of how it, it puts you in a position to win 
And once you start eating well, you will want to continue to eating well. It immediately has impact when you lean in on the Nourished program. Thank you for your time as always, my friend. Oh, thank you, Jody. So nice to be here.